a good day. We, uh, we do family service again like four or five times a year. Uh, we like to bring all of our young people into the room as well. It's intentional. It's just a reminder that we're one big church family of all ages, and we're all in this together. And so uh, thanks for being a part of this with us today. And uh, if you're new, uh, you're getting a little picture, I guess, of Genesis Church and just a, a fun celebration, certainly with baptisms. Uh, we, we believe this is why we exist. You know, we are here uh, to help people find their way back to God is our mission statement. And so uh, seeing life change uh, in, in the waters here firsthand is uh, exciting, and as much as we like celebrating also, you know, the young people, the men and women that are getting baptized, what Christ has done in their life, uh, it's the people standing with them as well, you know, and some parents and friends uh, that have played an instrumental role, and so for us as followers of Jesus, we're reminded of kind of the work that we do, the important work we do, uh, of coming alongside of people and sharing Christ with them, helping them make that decision for Jesus and then grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ uh, so that we can all do this together. So fun day, uh, very exciting, and uh, so thankful for, uh, what, for, for all the work that God's doing through our church. My name is Paul. I'm the lead pastor here. Uh, again, if you're new with us, we've got a welcome area outside in the lobby. Uh, if you haven't met somebody today or would like to hear a little bit more about Genesis, uh, stop by there on your way out today. We, we'd love to, to tell you a little bit more. But how many, how many Disney people in the room today? Like, how, how many big fans of Disney, get your hand up. I mean, some of you are like over the top Disney people I know, like there's different categories uh, of Disney fans, but all right, plenty of Disney people in the room. I went to Disney World as a kid, uh, had the experience of doing that. I've been able to take my kids to Disney World. In fact, found a picture of my kids uh, from a long, long time ago. Uh, Joel and Luke there on the left and Kate and one of our experiences at Disney. Funny thing is, I think we still have that Mickey Wizards hat downstairs in our basement uh, in the toy box. And every once in a while, Joel puts it on. It's always a little awkward, but uh, uh, some, some fun memories for us. And if you've been to Disney, if, uh, especially to something like Magic Kingdom, uh, chances are You've got a favorite attraction, you've got a favorite ride. Like how many of you are Space Mountain fans? Like you, when you think of Disney, you think of Space Mountain. You know, it took me a long time to get on that ride. That was a frightening ride for me when I was a kid. So I had to little, be a little bit older before I did that. How many Dumbo fans? Anybody love the Dumbo ride? All right, take you back. Maybe some nostalgia uh, for some of you older people. Maybe a Small World. How many of you love the Small World ride? There were some groans in the first service too. But hey, air condition, moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, you get to sit down for a little while, and so there's something too small world. How many uh, Pirates of the Caribbean fans, you know? All right, whether you love the movies or you love the ride uh, or this one, this has always been kind of one of my favorites, the Jungle Cruise. Anybody like the Jungle Cruise ride? Yeah. Let me, let me tell you why I like the Jungle Cruise ride. I, uh, it always takes me back to my childhood uh, because my dad loved the Jungle Cruise ride. He always appreciated the wit, the sense of humor, the bad dad jokes, if you would, of, of the tour guide on the boat. And so he could see himself in the same role. In fact, he always talked about retiring to central Florida so that he could be a jungle cruise tour guide. And so for those reasons, I've always loved the, the ride through the jungle and the experience, uh, the decor, uh, and all of the animals. Well, most of them except for this one. Like I can still think back to when I was a kid 
kid and the boat would push in towards the snake and it just reminds me of how much I hate snakes. How many of you join me there and say, you know what, I hate snakes as well. Yes, you're with me. How, anybody here loves snakes? Any of you actually enjoy snakes? Some of you, wow, just you put your hand up, you know, you can see your way out the back door if you would, but uh, you're weird if you ask me. But today, interestingly, we're going to look at one last chapter in the book of Acts. And for those of you that don't like snakes, bad news, uh, this chapter actually has a snake in it. And so if you've got your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 28. Uh, We have been studying through the New Testament book of Acts all year long. We're officially uh, wrapping it up today. Um, Next week, my friend Jeff Nelson is going to be here. He was my youth pastor growing up. He's going to kind of do a bonus teaching on the book of Acts with us and then stick around next uh, Sunday night for our Going Deeper event. So I hope you'll come back to hear Jeff. He is a phenomenal pastor and communicator. Uh, But for those of us that have been in Acts, or in case you're new, Acts is a history book. Uh, It's located about midway through the New Testament. It begins with Jesus' ascension into heaven in Acts chapter 1, the arrival of the Holy Spirit. And then the next 28 chapters cover about 30 years of time detailing how the church was born, and then a whole bunch of examples of men and women living faithfully for Jesus as sent followers of Jesus Christ into this world. And so for the last couple of months, we've been following closely a guy by the name of Paul. Uh, He started out as an enemy of the church, but that surrendered his life to Jesus. He spent uh, the rest of his days telling others about Christ, starting new churches, and one of his goals was to ultimately get to Rome. And the exciting thing about the book of Acts, Acts chapter 28, is that he's almost there but not without some challenges. If you've been reading along with us all year long through the book of Acts, or if you were here last week, as we discussed in chapter 27, Paul's on a boat on his way to Rome, but then they encounter this huge storm, and unfortunately the boat sinks, but thankfully Paul and everyone on the boat survives just as Jesus promised, and that's where we pick it up today. Acts chapter 28, beginning in verse 1, Luke is the historian here. He's copying down these details for us. He had firsthand experience. He was with Paul and the team as all of these events are taking place. And here's what he records, verse 1. He says, once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. And the islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and they welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. And so the boat sinks, everyone on board, including Paul, uh, swims to an island called Malta. And I want you to see and just identify what the residents there did. Because Luke writes that they welcomed and they cared for all of these people. We can only imagine the trauma that they all had just experienced. And so they, they welcomed them and they cared for them, kind of like how we see our role as a church family. Uh, and here in this community. Like we're here to show that same level of kindness and compassion and care for others who are in need, for those that are still coming, for the people that we haven't yet met. It's why we partner with ministries, like Dan talked about just a moment ago in the video, like with Food for Souls and, and, and this time of year especially, we help them collect winter supplies to help uh, people in our community that don't have a home or uh, just simply with the warm supplies they need. Like Paul in the first church of 
of Acts, we, we say that we're just continuing the work that Jesus started. That it, it's like we've been handed the baton, if you can imagine a relay race. It's, uh, we're here, we're on deck. It's our turn to be the hands and the feet of Jesus uh, in this community. But that doesn't just happen because we call ourselves a church. It takes people. All right, it takes students, it takes kids, people like you and me who are willing every day to say yes to the Lord. Verse 3, it says, Paul gathered a pile of brushwood. I want you to stop there because I love that. I mean, these words seem small, they seem uh, unimportant, but but they're not. It just reminds us that if we're going to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ, it's going to take hands and feet it's going to take people like you and me. You, you see it in Paul. Yes, yes, Paul was a great leader. He was a great teacher and preacher, a great church planter. But he's also demonstrating for us that he was willing to be a servant too. Like Jesus, he didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life uh, as a ransom as Jesus did. Paul's just simply modeling that. He's not able to do the, the ransom part that Jesus was accomplished, but he was able to live his life in a serving sort of way. His clothes are still wet but he sees this as an opportunity to serve others and, and not draw attention to himself, but to draw attention to Jesus Christ. And so that's why we serve here at Genesis. That's why we invite you to get involved and, and to play a part here with us. It's, uh, you know, serving is what Jesus did. It's what the apostle Paul did. It's what we can do. And so as we like to say, when you, when you serve uh, with our Gen Kids ministry or you serve with our students, you're not just filling a slot. Okay, you're, you're not just, uh, prov- you're not providing daycare. We're not, we're not babysitting people. You're, you're, you're helping to point others to Jesus Christ. Like when you serve on stage or when you serve in the, the cafe or when you serve in the parking lot or at the doors and whether your role is a visible role or a behind the scenes role, you're, not, you're just doing what Paul did. He's, he's not just picking up sticks. He's pointing others to Jesus Christ. When you make it your goal to be a servant, whether that be on your team or in your band or at your school or where you work, in your home or in your community, like it's just one more opportunity every day to point others to Jesus Christ. When you give financially through our church, you're not just helping to pay the bills here. You're proclaiming your desire to live for something greater. You're pointing others to Jesus. I don't know if you know this or not, but we had a number of people People from Genesis yesterday participate in the monumental marathon uh, and activities in Indianapolis uh, and under the banner of Team World Vision, helping to raise money for clean water for kids around the world. And I don't know how many people we had from Genesis that participated. In fact, some of them are here today. Get your hands up in the room. Uh, if you participated, if you walked, if you ran a race or whatever, all right, let's give them a big hand for doing that. They raised over $40,000, all right, to help provide clean water to kids around the world. They said yes. See, it takes people saying yes in order to help accomplish the work that God has called us to. They said yes to him. I I just want to say, if you're not serving with us in some way, and some of you are like, I ain't running a marathon, I'll tell you that right now, all right? But if you're not serving with us in some way, we invite you to get in the game, all right, to be a part of the team, to be a part of the work. Would you consider taking this next step with our church? God wants so much more for your life and for your church and for this church, and he loves to work through people who say yes to him. Yes, I belong to him, and yes, I'm here to serve, but watch out for the snakes, huh? 
Well, look, verse 3, Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper, a snake driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. I can tell you, I am never going to Malta. Verse 4, when the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, this man must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, the goddess Justice has not allowed him to live, but Paul shook the snake off into the fire. He suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead, but after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a gall. Paul, God, Paul's a tough guy. I would have cried like a baby. Uh, but because this was a superstitious group, they think to themselves, Paul definitely must be a bad guy. This is some kind of divine judgment. He's just, he's getting what he deserves. But because he's unaffected by the bite, they think he's some kind of God or something. And so what's going on? Well, here's just something interesting to point out as I was studying this past week. Like, where else do we read about a snake or a serpent in the Bible? The book of Genesis, right? At the very beginning. You know the story, the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve. There's the tree, there's the snake who we know as Satan, and there's the temptation, the fruit, sin enters the world. You could just simply saying like this, the snake is trying to disrupt the good plans of God. And now here again in Acts 27 and 28, Paul's just trying to get the good news of Jesus Christ to Rome, the great capital, uh, uh, the capital of the greatest empire in the world. Last week we saw and experienced a huge storm with Paul and now a snake bite. What's the point? Satan will do everything he can to disrupt our God, his people, and his mission. But let me tell you something this morning. Nothing will stop our God. We sang about that this morning. As one of our songs we were singing, worshiping with, nothing's going to prevent God from accomplishing what he chooses and wants to accomplish in this world. And so what a great reminder for you and me, no matter who you are, no matter what's going on in your life right now, like no matter what's happening in this world, nothing can stop our God. He is in control. He is sovereign over all things. And yes, Satan wants to prevent people from hearing and trusting Jesus Christ, but our God will not be defeated because he is in control of all things. And God is going to use this event in Malta to get people's attention and not just the snake bite. Because if you keep reading verse 7, it says there was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the, the chief of, official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and showed us uh, generous hospitality for three days. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him and after prayer placed his hands on him and healed him. I just want you to see, look at God giving Paul and his friends time and influence with this local leader they discover he has a sick father no problem Paul says because filled with the Holy Spirit Paul heals the man verse 9 and when this had happened the rest of the sick on the island they came and they were cured they honored us in many ways and when we were ready to sail they furnished us with the supplies that we needed Do you see what is happening here God's using a storm a shipwreck a snake bite, a healed sick man, and he's using all of it to bring attention to our great God. The truth is that God can use anything. He can use anything that we go through. He, he can use your pain. 
that you're experiencing right now. He can use the suffering that's in your life or the suffering of somebody that you love. He can, he can uh, use your questions, the questions that people are asking around you. He can redeem uh, the troubles in your marriage today. He can use the war in Israel, and he can certainly use our prayers to help others see and trust Jesus Christ. That's what our God can do. Well, fast forward in Acts 28 because it's family service and because we're keeping things moving this morning, all right? But the rest of the chapter details Paul's arrival in Rome, and that's, again, a really big deal because in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, at the very beginning of the book, Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And at this point in history, Rome represented the ends of the earth. And so Acts 28 is the fulfillment of what Jesus had promised. The gospel has advanced to Rome, and it's not going to be stopped. And then in verse 14, we see how Paul was welcomed by people there. They were excited to meet him, to hear him teach, and to talk to him about Jesus. But remember, Paul's a prisoner. He was under arrest in Jerusalem. He appealed to Caesar, which meant he had a right to travel to Rome to stand trial there. And so he's been shipped to Rome. And that trial is going to take some time. In fact, we know from history that Paul was on house arrest, guarded around the clock by a Roman soldier for the next two years, which seems pretty discouraging when you think about it. I mean, come on. This guy's been through so much already, and now house arrest. But it is what it is, right? And what's Paul going to do with his life? What's he going to do with two years of house arrest? I'd probably give up. I'm not sure I could stand anymore if I were him, but not Paul. He's not giving up. He, he's going to keep serving Jesus. He's going to make the most of his time, this opportunity, every day, every conversation. And wouldn't you know it, it's from house arrest in Rome that Paul's going to write what we sometimes refer to as the prison epistles or prison letters, New Testament books like Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. I'd say that's not a bad use of your house arrest time. And thankfully, he won't be cut off from people because at the very end of the chapter, we read in verses 30 and 31 that for two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house, again, where he was under the watch of a Roman soldier, and he welcomed all who came to see him, verse 31. He proclaimed the kingdom of God. He taught about the Lord Jesus Christ, and he did it with all boldness and without hindrance. Hang on those words. Paul just kept living for Jesus. He kept telling others about Jesus, making the most of every day, every moment, every conversation, and he did it with boldness, and he did it with courage. Not a bad way to live your life, right? Sold out to Jesus, sent by Jesus on mission with boldness and courage. And really, he's not the only one. I mean, it's it's the story of the book of Acts. It's example after example, men and women and students empowered by the Holy Spirit, sold out to Jesus, living on, on mission, sent on mission with boldness and courage. I, I once heard someone say that if Acts has 28 chapters, we're, we're living in Acts chapter 29 because the story continues uh, the, the mission, the work is still in front of us, still to be accomplished. 
You know, th those of us who have put our, our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, like the, these first Christians were sent out. We, we, we are the same. We're sent too. It, it's our turn. See, you and I, we, we are not here by accident. Your, your, your life is no accident. Your, your life was on purpose, ordained by God, and, and we are here to, to bring glory to him as we obey him, as we live out the great commission that Jesus said, go into all the world and, and make disciples, you know, baptizing people in the name of Jesus Christ. You know, you, you will be my witnesses, Jesus said in Acts 1-8, to the, to the very ends of the earth. It's a reminder that this is our moment. Like 20 years of history as a church is no accident for us. Like until we die or until Jesus returns, we are the sent ones now. And that's why we say that our mission is helping people find their way back to God. I want to leave you with three quick challenges this morning if you're taking notes for those of you that would say, you know what, I, I am ready to say yes to Jesus Christ or I, I am ready to renew or rededicate my faith and my commitment, my life, my work to him. Again, it doesn't matter who you are, whether you're a kid, whether you're a student, whether you're an adult, every single one of us to say yes to Jesus. What does it mean to be a sent follower of Jesus in 2023? Real quick, three things that sent people do. The first one is this, just keep trusting Jesus. All right, live a life where you keep trusting Jesus. He, he is at work. He is accomplishing his purposes in this world, and he's not going to be defeated. You may not understand everything that's happening in and around your life right now, or even in this world for that matter, but I can promise you that God is working out all things for the good, for your good and my good, and for his glory. And so in all things and in everything, keep trusting him. The second thing is this. If you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, you were alive in Jesus Christ, live like it. Let's be people who live like it. Let's live lives filled with joy and let others see Jesus in us. My friend Jeff is going to speak on encouragement next week and what it means that Christians ought to be the most encouraging people in our world right now because Jesus Christ died for you and me. God raised him from the dead for you and me. And would you put your faith and trust in him like he forgave you. He redeemed your life. He, he, he has said there, there is nothing else in this world that gets to identify who you are. You know, it, 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 When you put your faith in Jesus, like he gets to do that. He gets to say who we are and why we're here and why we exist. And it's why the Apostle Paul could say in 2 Corinthians 5 that anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone and the new is here. You and I, as we put our faith in Jesus as a church, we are alive in Jesus Christ. Live like it. Let others see all of the difference that Jesus is making in you. And then the third thing is this. Just live a sent life. Live an intentional life mission-driven, sent life. You know, I, for those of you that are going to go off to college very soon, like, like ask the Lord, like, what, what do you want to do through me? And then I think your ultimate goal, students, ought to be, and I'm going to go do it wherever you send me, Lord. I'm going to do it for you. I mean, that's part of what it means to, to live a sent life. The, the gospel, the good news, when you think about it, it's reached you and me. Like someone took seriously the responsibility of sharing the good news of Jesus with you and me. It's our turn now. Like it's our responsibility to share and demonstrate the good news of Jesus Christ with others because he doesn't want anyone to perish. His desire is for all to come to repentance. Our, uh, our family took a vacation this summer 
We went out to uh, Colorado for a week and uh, spent a week at, at Estes Park. And you know what? My wife lost her wedding ring while we're there. Estes Park is a big place, right? I mean, how in the world do you find a wedding ring in Estes Park? We were, uh, we were doing the six-mile hike on one of our last days. We had parked in this particular parking lot. It was a six-mile loop, all right? Not an out and back. It was a loop, and it was a great hike. It was beautiful. We saw so many sights and moose that day, and it was so fun. As we were rounding the turn to make the last mile back to the car, it was a dirt road, and it was starting to rain, and then the thunder was coming in, and there was hail, and I decided, being the good, brave dad that I am, I was going to run back to the car, get it, and drive back to catch everyone else, and so I did just that, and I turned around, I was coming back in the vehicle, and there was my wife standing in the middle of the dirt road with her shoulders kind of dropped, and as I pulled up to her, I was like, what's the matter? And she said, I lost my wedding ring. What do you mean you lost your wedding ring? She goes, I lost my wedding ring. How? Well, her fingers had been swelling and were kind of irritable, and so she had kind of been moving her ring from one finger to the next. She said, I don't know where I lost it. Like, well, do you remember having it? Well, I remember having it three miles back when we were at that lake. It's, that's a long ways back. Like, what are the chances we'd even find it? And so my son Joel was there, and so he jumped in the car with me as Jenny just kind of kept looking. We just started driving down this little dirt road. I'll be honest, my mind was thinking about I think our insurance policy would cover it. So, I mean, maybe we get a new ring out of this. So I'm kind of doing that work. In the meantime, my son Joel's just got his head out the window as we're driving along, and all of a sudden, he stop, stop, stop. And you get out of the car, and wouldn't you know it, there in the dirt becoming mud was sitting my wife's wedding ring. Joel found it. He was the hero of the day, all right? The valuable possession. Well, it ain't that valuable. I didn't have much money when I bought it. But... Uh, Jesus once told a story about a woman who lost a possession and then tore her house apart until she found it. It was meant to be an example for us of how desperate Jesus is for people who don't yet know him to be found, to come to faith in him. You and I, we are his most valuable possession. And we're called to that work as followers of Jesus, as sent ones. We're a part of the work of helping others know and trust and grow in faith in Jesus Christ. And, and so I guess where we end today is we come back to a prayer that we've been inviting you to pray. It's on a bookmark there on tables in the back. You can find it on our website too. Maybe somebody have been faithfully, have been praying this prayer with us. It's a prayer that goes like this. Father in heaven, thank you for saving me. Uh, I want you to do for others what you've done for me. Use me today to help. And there's a blank there because chances are that you know somebody. There's somebody in your life. There's somebody in your home, somebody that you love that has not yet put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And the work of life change ultimately is on the Lord. He changes hearts, but he works through us. He works through obedient people that say, God, I am willing to be used by you to share my faith with others, to be patient with others, to pray with others, to love others as you have loved us. For the sake, the opportunity that one day they might come into a a baptism like this 
and demonstrate their faith in Christ. And so I'm going to give you just a moment today to pray on your own because maybe you've got a name. Maybe you've got somebody that you're praying for. Maybe there's a name the Lord is bringing to mind for you today. Will you just pray this prayer? Will you pray for them this morning and that God might use you, that they might know Christ too? Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for how you're working through uh, this church family and uh, especially as we've been going through this act series and, and not just those that are here in the room either, but our kids and students who are saying and declaring, I want to live a very intentional life. I want to live on mission for Jesus. I, I want to live as a sent follower of Jesus in this world. We thank you for that. We thank you for how you've used uh, this series this year. You've been answering prayers. We thank you for the demonstration of life change here in the room this morning, Lord. We want to see even more of that. Most importantly, we thank you for the work of your son, Jesus, our Lord and Savior, who gave his life so that we could have life. And so we want more, Lord. We want more of you in us and through us. We want to see more people coming to Christ. Would you fill us with your, your presence, Lord? pray that uh, your power would extend even beyond anything we could ever do on our own. And there were a bunch of names that were presented up in this room just in these last couple of minutes, Lord. Would you use us that these individuals might put faith and trust in you? And for somebody here today, Lord, that maybe is realizing, well, that my name ought to be in that box. I, I pray that they would know the power of your love and confess with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and receive in their heart. This is ultimate gift that God raised Jesus from the dead. We thank you. We pray this in your name. Amen.